What's up, guys? Thanks for coming to our Kaafa and Miss You podcast. Here, you will find resources to help you grow in real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. So you can learn to love Jesus, not just for a season, but for a lifetime. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Alright, so either way, it's really good to see everyone again. Uh, I enjoy being here at Kaafa. Does my face look dark or does it matter? Oh, you guys see me? Cool. Doesn't matter. I didn't even wait for an answer. But I've enjoyed it because, yes, I've been looking up jokes. I've also been seeing crazy videos from people's small groups, things like blowing up uh, vacuum cleaners. Which yeah. looked really cool. Dude, it looked phenomenal. The, a piece of, the piece of the vacuum cleaner left was about this big. And it, that's all that was there. It was all gone. And they shot it and it blew up. Well, they shot Tannerite by the vacuum cleaner. It blew up. Uh, I've been hearing about a lot of prank wars, and uh, you know we'll see what else shows up on social media in the next few weeks, few days, or hours. I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. We'll see. Because for some reason, whenever it's, when something's on social media, it makes it a lot more real. And so I don't know. But. Uh, <laughs> Usually when it's there, it feels a bit more real, but it's also crazy how much on social media can all can be real, but as we all probably know, can just be really fake. Yep. But many employers still look at some potential prospects or potential employees' Facebook or Instagram or social media profiles um, because they think it might be an accurate reflection of who a person is. And I think it can be. And I also think it can't be. Some people's accounts are an accurate reflection of who they are, while others are a terrible reflection of who they actually are as a person. But generally, nowadays, looking at people's photos has turned into somehow knowing about their lives. Watching people's actions has turned into knowing about their hearts. But I think we all ultimately know better. Some people's actions accurately reflect who they are, while others do not. So what? The last four places I've lived, uh, just coincidentally when I thought about it and it actually frustrated me, happened to be in neighborhoods with at least five stop signs before you get to any main road. And when you're in a hurry, you know you're not going to stop. You're not going to do a full stop at each one of them every single time. You think about that in the course of a year, you will stop at a stop sign over a thousand times just in that neighborhood to leave it, which is extremely frustrating. You know, like... You're not going to do a full stop over a thousand times in this neighborhood when it's just old. You're like, oh, why am I doing this? No one's ever here anyway. But there are those times when you're about to slide through a stop sign in a hurry. And, you know, you're just doing that quick, quick little look like you do it every morning. And you see what looks like a cop or possibly is a cop. And immediately you, you just, <laughs> I feel like it would be pretty obvious if you were a cop. But like you pass, you stop, you stop at the stop sign 20 feet past it because you're t- <laughs> because you're trying to give off that you were going to stop the whole time. But we all know, so we all know in some way or have seen or heard in some way of what it's like to follow the laws on the road when the police are watching. But if they weren't there and you knew you wouldn't get caught, you know you wouldn't have stopped. So ultimately in this situations, in these situations, our actions are not reflections of our hearts. What we're doing is not a reflection of what we want. Our actions are obedient to the law, but our heart and desires are not. The question is, so what? 
Isn't it good enough to just do good? We could be worse. We could desire to do bad and actually do it. So what if we want to do bad as long as we don't do it? But I have a feeling that's not actually the way we feel about this situation. So I'll pray and we'll get started. Holy Spirit, you know that each one of us, you know each one of us that needs to hear what you have to say tonight. I pray that you would speak to every person, that no heart would be hardened against you, Lord. That you would speak and soften hearts and help us to hear you, help us to see your beauty, and help us to melt our hearts the way that you love us and what you've done for us in light of who we are. Please, oh God, soften hearts and open minds to hear and understand. Please, 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 may no heart be too hard to hear you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, maybe we think things like, as long as I don't do bad, what I really think about or want internally, just it's not really relevant. But like I said, I have a feeling that's not how we really feel. We may be okay with doing it ourselves, but I guarantee you, for the most part, we wouldn't be okay with people doing it to us. I once broke a MacBook Pro in half, just like that picture to prove that to this girlfriend I had that I loved her. And yes, it is as stupid as it sounds. Just like you're not hungry, you're not yourself when you're hungry, you're just not always smart when you don't love Jesus. But you're also not after it sometimes. So it's because we were watching a football game and we were working on schoolwork and I needed to go to the bathroom and like any normal person, I left my laptop on the couch next to her and wasn't gonna take it with me. Actually, that's a lie. That's not, maybe that's not normal. I would actually sometimes take it, but that time I didn't. So she was curious to go through some of my old photos, which I don't think is as weird as it sounds. It's just profile stalking, which pretty much everyone's done in some way, except you have access to all the photos they didn't want to post. And so she decided to get curious and go through them. Uh, and she came across a selection of my photos that I don't know how and when this happened. I don't recall ever doing this. But this album got connected to my Facebook profile, which means every picture that's ever been uploaded by me to it was in this album. And I had tried to delete them before, but I didn't know how. It wasn't just delete, drag and drop, right click, delete. I really had no idea, so I just forgot it was there. And she came across some pictures of me and the girlfriend before her, which I guess is like not, some, not a good thing. Like, it's not nice to see that, I guess. And so, she thought, because of that, that I wasn't over my ex-girlfriend and that she didn't want to be with me anymore. And I didn't know how to prove to her that I wasn't like, still into her and that I didn't want to be with her. But So guess what I thought I should do to prove that? I said, if I can't get rid of the photos, then I'll just get rid of the laptop and that will prove to you that I love you. And so I broke my laptop in half mid-fight, definitely one of my least proud moments, and no, she wasn't convinced. <laughs> So what, so what was the problem? Wasn't breaking my $1,300 laptop enough? The problem wasn't about my doings. It was about my longings. My actions weren't what was called into question. The pictures called my heart into question. What exactly did I want? Who exactly did I want? My actions for months said one thing, but these pictures all of a sudden are telling her another. Who wants to date someone who won't cheat on you but dreams about doing it every day? Who wants to marry someone who will physically stay faithful to you, but they wish they could be with someone else every day? Who wants someone's actions, but not their heart? Who wants someone's physical faithfulness, but not their mental and emotional faithfulness? 
And I'm going to just take a wild guess and believe that not a single one of us would want that. But sometimes and quite often, or even unthoughtfully, we're okay doing it. We're okay following a physical law, all while wishing we could break it and not get caught. But we don't want friends with kind actions to us, but hateful thoughts about us. We don't want friends who say they want our success, but secretly wish we fail. We want not only people's actions, but we do want their hearts, our friends, our family, our future relationships, current relationships. But why should anyone actually have to live this way for you? Why do we even want it? It's because instinctually we know if we don't have their hearts also, if we only have actions but not their heart, not their longings, then we don't even have the whole person. We just have half of them. Someone else has the other half. So why should anyone even live this way for any of us? The secular ethic, like we talked about a few weeks ago, is do good in the world. You do good. It doesn't matter what you want, who you are, what you like, like, as long as you just do good, whatever that definition, as obscure as it probably is, could be. But is it not, isn't it good enough to just do good? But this ethic never mentions things about the things you want, the desires you have, and the ways you feel. So as long as you do good, you are good. So why not let your girlfriend dream that she can be with someone else? Why care if your wife or husband wishes they could sleep with someone? As long as they don't, why can't they just look and desire and dream about it as long as they don't touch? Like, what's the problem with that? On what basis would you say there's a problem with that? Because you love each other? What, is you, what if your definition of love means that, but theirs doesn't? What are you going to say? How is that fair that your definition should be more of what love is than theirs? But deep down, total faithfulness is what we want. But without God, there is no reason for any one person to be any more than anything I just described. Why should you have their heart and not just their actions? Why shouldn't they just do good? Why, why does it matter if they think what you think is good or desire what you think is good? Because you want it? Because it's messed up? Says who? Who says that's messed up? Because it's hurtful? Well, what if hurts, what's hurtful to you is pleasurable to someone else? I feel like that's pretty oppressive for you to not let them do these things that they could indulge in because it hurts you. That might even be selfish. Who are you to say they shouldn't get indulge in these things? I think people want a godless world, but not godless morals. Because everything I just said sounds really terrible. But a world without God doesn't get to have his morals. People want to live life without God, but they do not want to be treated in love as though there is no God. Like we mentioned a few weeks ago, Friedrich Nietzsche said, if you say you don't believe in God, you believe in the rights of every person, the requirement to care for all the weak and the poor, then you're still holding on to Christian beliefs whether you will admit it or not. So there's this morality that we want. But what right do we have to demand or desire from anyone? Remember, the young Ivy League graduate going to a church in Manhattan, I, I told that quick story about it, said, as an atheist, I thought I lived a moral, community-oriented, concerned with social justice kind of life. But Christianity had an even higher standard, down to our thoughts and the state of our hearts. So I accepted God's forgiveness and invited him into my life. We all want this higher standard in some way, but we can't have a world with the higher standard, but not the one who sets that standard. Yeah. So if this is something everyone desires in some way, shape, or form, but have no basis for it, then what? What do we do? It has been frequently pointed out that uh, I have quite a lot of hobbies. I can go from one thing I like to another very quickly. 
But however, in thinking about these statements, I realized that yes, I can enjoy a lot of things, but it's just because there just wasn't that one thing where I'm like, oh, I don't need to enjoy a whole lot else. This one thing is enough. For example, in college, I had a Mustang. I had two Mustangs. I had a Chevy Cruze after that. I had a Ford F-150 after that. I had a Yukon after that. And now I have a big Ford Transit van. And all of those switches, yes, were me wanting to try something new until I found the one that I didn't really want to switch from. All the other ones were all right, but this Transit is the vehicle I really like for many, many reasons. Everything I had was missing something in one way, and this Transit has it all, um, for the most part. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think there will be something else other than a medium roof Transit van. But that's neither here nor there. I still, I can't go through car washes with it now, so I should have just gotten the medium roof anyway. But, so when I got this van, I realized I can dive really deep into this thing I don't want to, like, I don't need to move on from. I found the one I want to stay with, so I'll just dive deep into that. So I got that gear for my van. I changed the flooring in my van. I want to turn it into a camper that I can also take back out and put the seats in. And there's just so much I want to do in it. But in the middle of all of this, I started to catch something happening that I, I just couldn't get enough. Like, I really wanted more. I would get these, this big equipment, and I wanted to put it on immediately, and then I wanted the next thing immediately. It killed me to wait a week. It killed me to wait to get anything. I wanted more, and then more, and then more. And then it's like, because these desires could be endless. And so it began to weigh on me. My chest would feel really heavy. It would feel like these moments of sadness or like depression would creep in, even though I'm still getting these things that I want. And I realized something that I'd already known, but I had to realize again um, that my heart wants more than just this stuff. My heart can't be filled, like, filled completely to satisfaction with things, with people, with pleasures, or etc. I have a greater desire. C.S. Lewis said it this way, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Each one of us wants more than just someone's actions. We want their heart. There's something deep in us that knows someone who says nice things to us but thinks hateful things about us is a fraud. And something deep in us that wants to believe or would even label that is wrong. It's said, actions speak louder than words. I will say that true longings mean a lot more than just your doings. What you long for means a lot more than just what you do. We want action and heart. But a world without God cannot give a basis for it. But the desire is there in each of us in some way. So there must be, there must be a standard of it out there somewhere to satisfy that desire. Does that make sense? If we're desiring it, there must be something created that can satisfy it. So there must be. So I'm going to have whoever has the microphone first. You guys can read our scripture. So you can stand up and just read it on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. I tell you that unless the righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so what does that mean? The 
Pharisees, who are the ones he's saying this to, are the ones he's speaking about, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day in Israel, were sticklers about obeying the law and doing good and doing what was right. In short, the Pharisees think very much like our modern culture does. The Pharisees reduce God's law simply down to doing things. And anyone who has any, like, church or religious backgrounding at all, at some point has either thought this, is still in it, or still, like, or certainly, with everything they have, believes this is what God's law is about. It's simply about doing. And Jesus is correcting the Pharisees' false interpretation of the law. Jesus is saying to them, you've missed it. The law the Father gave is not less than your doings, but it is so much more. In God's kingdom, the desire to do something is just as reprehensible as doing the deed itself. The desires of your heart are as concrete as the actions that they evoke. I do not look at men and women like the world do. I look at their hearts, Scripture says. You will never enter the kingdom of God unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Unless, to say it another way, your righteousness exceeds just doing church things, just doing Kyle things, just doing whatever the world defines as good things. And, and you transform your longings, not just your doings, then you will not enter my kingdom. Unless you concern yourself less with your actions and more about the source of those actions, you will not enter my kingdom. This is the thing that everyone desires from others. But I know frequently we may not want people to desire from us. We want people's actions. We want our actions to be enough. But we want other people's hearts. But this is what God's kingdom is like. It's not less than our actions, but it is so, so much more. So what is an example of what that looks like? There is nothing or very little a human being would deal with more than the emotion of anger. The pervading nature of this emotion makes sense why it necessitated Jesus addressing this first. So uh, whoever's reading next, you guys can stand up and you'll read Matthew chapter 5. 21 through 22. You have heard that it is said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and you shall be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And yet, anyone who insults his brother is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So what he's saying is that the Pharisees would say things like, yes, committing murder is terrible. And if that happened, yes, that person, the murderer, should be taken to court. And yes, the judgment suitable should be given to him. But Jesus came and says, but it's more than that. Jesus is saying, don't just listen to these Pharisees and scribes who say you're only in danger of judgment when you actually murder a man. I say to you that the very feeling of hatred, the very feeling of disgust towards someone else and with someone is the very spirit that leads to murder. It's those feelings and thoughts of anger and hatred that lead to the act of murder. The inward choice of anger generates and has generated the worst acts in history. Murder is the physical expression of what hatred feels like in the heart. We deal with dissatisfaction with others on a daily basis. Someone speaks aggressively to us. We don't like it. Someone cuts us off in traffic. We don't like it. Someone pranks us. We don't like it. 
Someone didn't hear us when we were talking to them. We don't like it. Someone didn't do something we liked or did something that perturbed us, and we don't like it. So these things evoke feelings of annoyance, disgust with someone, and ultimately anger with them. But nowhere in Scripture is anger a problem. So why now? God got angry. Jesus was angry when he went to the temple and saw people using it to make money and not to be with God himself. It's not anger itself that's the problem that Jesus is referring to. It's the subject of our anger. Murder is an act bestowed on a person. Murder is the destroying of a person's physical life. But there are ways to destroy a person that are short of murder. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, We can destroy someone's reputation. We can whisper about someone to someone else and destroy every good thought about them. Killing does not only mean destroying life physically. It means still more trying to destroy the spirit and the soul. Destroying the person in any form. And this includes destroying the image of that person even in your own eyes. You destroy it to yourself. For example, not the person themselves. We're to have hope that that person can and should be better than their being and so much more than their being. Angry thoughts destroy the image of the person in our eyes. So Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, you're subject to judgment. Angry words destroy the reputation of that person to other people. So Jesus says, whoever says you're cool will be subject to the hell of fire. Angry thoughts and words express an action, destroy the physical life of a person. So God said, you shall not murder. You shall not hurt the ones I love in any way. The kingdom of God is not less than actions, but it is so, so much more. And then Jesus takes it further. So then lastly, Jake, Matthew chapter 5. So if you are offering the gift at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, If you are in a state of conscious enmity or anger or hatred against someone else, if you are not speaking to another person, if you are harboring unkind thoughts and you are a hindrance and an obstacle to that other person, God's word assures you that there is no value in your attempted acts of worship. It will avail you nothing and the Lord will not hear you. You cannot be right with God until you are right with man is what he's saying. So Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds just doing good, but longing for and thinking about good, you will not enter my kingdom. And you may be thinking, but that's so hard. I already have a hard time doing good. Now I'm supposed to think good and I'm supposed to want good. We can't possibly do this. So what do we do? And so as I, as I finish, I'll have just If we're honest, we don't want just people's actions. We want their heart. And at a bare minimum, I guarantee you, each one of you will feel this. And you need whatever that one perfect person is. Whatever that one soulmate is. Well, I don't even know why I said that word. It's ridiculous. Whatever that one, that one just right person is. Like, it's not even a biblical word. Don't use that. Neither is karma. Stupid. Um, but when, like, that one person where you're like, I want to be with that person forever. That's where you'll see. If you need, even if you're trying to disagree with me now on some basis, I guarantee you, you'll, you'll, like, you'll invalidate your own argument when that one person you never want to leave your life 
if you want, if you like, if they only give you your actions, but you know every day they're wishing they could sleep with someone else. You're, they're wishing they could be with someone else. They're fantasizing about dating someone else. That's when you'll realize, I don't like this. I want your actions and your heart. But there is no standard in this world to objectively satisfy that desire except in God's kingdom. And I mean objective, not just subjective. I feel this, this is good, by whose definition? Like this whole trail of where you can't prove it. And Jesus' first example of this is that yes, murder destroys people physically, but angry thoughts destroy their image in your own, in your own eyes. Angry words destroy their reputation in the eyes of others. I guarantee you we've been frustrated with somebody, with someone. Have we said something about them to someone else? Because that's what this is talking about. And even more, what are our thoughts about some of the people in this room? What are our thoughts about some of the people in Kaiapa? What are our thoughts about Kaiapa as a whole? What are our thoughts about the church? What are our thoughts about our teachers and our friends and our family? Murder is the destroying of another person in any sense. Therefore, your actions, your words, your thoughts, and your whole heart are called to be of a higher standard. That's good. But we can't. So what do we do? And I'll start generally and end specifically. You just have to be humble. What do I mean? If you're always late to work, if you're always late to things, then when someone is late to your thing, it'll be easy to forgive them. It'll be easy to not be mad. It's easy to forgive because you don't feel superior. You do the same thing. But if you're never late, and someone's late to your party or your event or your stuff, it's very hard to forgive. Why? Because if you feel superior to that person, you can't forgive them. You can't not be mad at them. And Jesus tells a story about forgiveness, and he uses this first image. He begins by saying, imagine you're a slave. Imagine there's this slave, or the way people in his time would have understood that word. Imagine you're in debt, and you have to pay off that debt. Do you, would you expect the bank to say thank you and send you a thank you card every time you pay your, your loan? Absolutely not, because you're just paying back what you owe. Do you know what you owe God? That's what Jesus is saying. When it comes to forgiveness, someone has to assume the debt. Someone has to assume the hurt. When someone hurts you and you want to forgive them, you have to assume and endure the pain rather than trying to give that pain back to them. But people might say that's unfair, that's unjust, or a little more or less educated, that's weak mindset. But Tim Keller says, never ask God for justice because he might give it to you. What if everything you've ever gotten away with, every way you've ever pushed someone in, uh, into a life of destruction, every way you've ever hated the people that God loves so dearly, what if everything you've ever done wrong that you've gotten away with finally comes to light and you ask for justice and God says, okay, I'll give it to you. When you say this isn't fair, God says, this is what you owe me. You want what people owe you, I want what you owe me. If I ever gave you what you really deserve, you would be gone. You owe forgiveness because you have gotten so much of it. Yeah. If someone says, I just can't get past my anger, then you're just not remembering or you haven't even realized who you really are. You are in debt, but you're acting like you have no debts. You can only not forgive someone if you claim to have the knowledge of God and the goodness of God. The knowledge of God, because you don't know why someone does what they do. You don't know what their intentions were. You don't know if they were unaware or super aware. You don't know what they were going through in life when that thing happened. Only God would know that. But you're acting like you do when you're making a final judgment on them. 
And then you're assuming the goodness of God because only the person who is right and the person who has no debts has the right to not forgive someone. And that's not you, and that's not me. But it's still not good enough if one of you says, well, you're right, you're right, I'm not good, I'm not good, so I just must forgive, I just have to think that. That's just not going to be enough. To be able to do what we're saying, to be able to not just do good, but long for good and think about good, to not be angry in your heart at others and actually forgive them, again, generally, you just have to look to Jesus, which sounds very spiritual and not very practical and helpful, but allow me to explain. You have to look at the one who owed no debts, but paid them all anyways. Until our hearts are overwhelmed with that reality, the reality that this one man owed nobody anything, did no things wrong, but paid for all the wrong anyway, this is why you can't stop being angry. This is why we won't be able to forgive anybody. John Newton once wrote, Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined apart no more. Your duty to forgive and not hate will be impossible. You will not be able to do it until you see the beauty of a king who owed no debts but paid yours and mine anyway. Yeah, you cannot be you cannot bitter and unforgiving until you see the one who had the right to be how you're being, but chose not to and pay what you owe on the cross. So my Christian what we owe God. You hear me say that and in your head you're like, like whatever, you don't know, like whatever, heard this my whole life, whatever, I do whatever, I'm not fine. Are you angry and unforgiving? Maybe you have forgotten what it is exactly that you owe him. God has called you to a higher standard that is not less than our actions and our doings, but it's so much more. And maybe you have self-confident Christians who are wound up, who have these wound up panties and they're angry, they're critical, they're unforgiving and bitter, they find something wrong with everything, they're always finding something wrong with someone or something or this organization, that organization, this church, that church, this family member, that, that, that like lady at the coffee shop, that person. Maybe they forgot what they owe God. My non-Christian friends, where else can you find a standard like this? Where else can you show me a standard this high? A standard that meets this longing each of us has in our hearts. We all want it, but without God, there is little argument for any basis for it. So for just a little bit, just one song, we're just going to, I want to have a time where we're going to be still and just let the Lord speak. And let the Lord show us things, any ways that we are angry, any ways that we are bitter and unforgiving, and people that just know, like, I know people, I know, I know that I know when I'm angry, and I know that you guys aren't dumb. Like, you guys know when you're angry and critical, and you know if you currently are. And so I just want to have time to let the Lord show us if we are and we don't know it, and to show us the weight, like, if we are and what it means and what it does. And to show us again, like the beauty of what we owe him, that he still like paid it for us anyway. And hopefully that'll transform not just our doings, but our longings. So I'll pray, and we'll be.